0: Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 753 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today for the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly, do not forget the scholarly, arm-hurting Brittany Page.
1: Well, we're going to talk about our flu shots, but first, I want to do a Thanksgiving call right up front so that it's it's something that you cannot avoid. It's something that you're hearing <laughs> right now, and it's a call to action, okay?
0: All right.
1: Every year, with the exception of the previous year, we have done a Thanksgiving episode here on the show, and what that has involved is listener-submitted voice memos and voicemails describing what you are thankful for this year, when you call or leave your voice memo, you do not include your name. It's anonymous and it is just you describing what it is that you are thankful for this year. If you want to hear examples of what this has sounded like from previous episodes, you can search the website dollamore.com. You can go to YouTube and search Thanksgiving Dollamore and a few of those episodes will be up on thanks on YouTube. And It's a really good time. We do family-friendly things only, so that means good news. That means no profanity. It's something that we envision people turning on on the Thanksgiving holiday and listening to with their friends and family. We get so many moving submissions of people describing events that have happened during the year um, that prompted unique and meaningful reflections about what it is that they're grateful for in their lives. So we would encourage you to participate. If you would like to, please submit a voice memo or voicemail. You can send your voice memo to idoubtit at dollamore.com. And you can submit your voicemail to (laughs) 657-464-7609. As you can tell, I spend most of my day saying a different number, which I had to remember not to say here on the show. So... We would really hope that you uh, participate in that, because as a reminder, we're almost a month away now from Thanksgiving, and we would like to get those submissions in. So when you send them in, subject line, Thanksgiving 2021. Yeah. Now on to the flu shots, which we got, and it's important to get your flu shot, so don't forget, make sure that you get it. How was your reaction to the flu shot, Jesse D? No problem. No problem at all. None at all. Okay. No. Like
0: nary, nary a sore arm. No. Nothing. Okay. Good to go.
1: You think it's just in comparison to the uh, COVID shot, or just- no? I,
0: it was. It was fine. I mean, it, you got wrecked, but I don't even think you got wrecked from your flu shot. No, I didn't. You like some kind of a, a warrior, like a champion, <laughs> decided to. Oh, what else can I do on top of the flu shot? Let me also get my tetanus shot just randomly. Yeah. And you were fucked up for days. You still have like a gross yellowish (laughs) bruise on your arm from the tetanus shot.
1: Yeah. It's pretty wild. I've heard that... It, it's a rough one. That was always the rumor that I heard.
0: That was the the word on the street. That
1: was the word on the street. And I asked <laughs> the lady who gave me the shot. I said, "Is this like uniquely terrible? Is this going to be something that is is bad for me?" And she said, "You know, I don't feel like you. You know, do you lift weights?" And I was like, "Um, do you lift weights? You know, I have. Yeah, Yeah, I have before at a time. And she said, it's like that. It's like if you lifted weights, your arm's just going to feel sore. I don't think
0: she's ever lifted weights. It was
1: not like that. It certainly was very sore for days. Didn't you
0: say it was like a thick paste going in? Yeah,
1: you could feel it going in, which was really gross. And... Yeah, I have a giant bruise still, but it's worth it because you only need to get it every 10 years. And unlike Joe Rogan, who is somehow confused by the concept of booster shots, you're a fucking doctor, bro. There are... <laughs> Thank you for that drop. There are, uh, there are indeed other vaccines other than the COVID-19 vaccine yeah, for yeah. which you need boosters. And the tetanus shot is one of them every 10 years. Which
0: are also... Required. I mean, tetanus is probably not required because it's not a communicable thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, getting into the, well, tetanus the is
1: often stuff. it's often recommended though. Like when I worked at the um, psychiatric hospital, they wanted us to get that in case you know we we um, got
0: stabbed or something.
1: We were wounded. Yeah, yeah, in the line of duty. Is that the proper phrase? Are you offended by that?
0: Am I offended by wounded in the line of duty? I don't know because. It's too close to like military stuff? Yeah. Well, one, uh I'm a little weirded out that you would wonder whether something like that would offend me not knowing. It's a joke. And two, there's the line of duty in all kinds of jobs. Yeah. You trade stocks and securities as in the line of duty of when you're a stockbroker. Yeah. You just happen to have a different line of duty when you're in the military.
1: Well, let me ask you if this is offensive, because when I was... Are
0: you just going to keep upping the ante? When
1: I was in... Well, no, you're going to love this. It's actually quite comical. When I um, was a teenager, you know, my high school boyfriend that was the insurrectionist...
0: Yeah, well, he became the insurrectionist.
1: He became, yeah, he, he grew up to be the insurrectionist. Um, what do you
0: want to be when you grow, grow up, Josiah?
1: I want to be an insurrectionist. So anyway, he went on a mission, a uh, Mormon mission, and when he got back, I remember asking him like oh, how yeah. many people he converted, and he said that was an inappropriate question because that's like asking someone how many people they killed in a war.
0: It's exactly the same thing, so... yeah.
1: Yeah, it does that offend you? No. Okay.
0: I don't. I don't get offended. <laughs> I can't even like what. What's offensive to me? I, I don't even. I don't know. A certain smells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I think certain smells. Certain
0: smells are certainly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Wouldn't
1: certain smells be offensive to anyone?
0: So get out there and get your goddamn flu shot, everybody. Yes. Protect your neighbors, protect the the vulnerable in your communities that you might be checking out at the grocery store next to. Absolutely. um, Who may be unable to get their flu shot.
1: It's funny how you describe me as wanting to get like any available vaccine because that's kind of how I am. Like they give me the form to read whatever and I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. Just give me the shot. It's fine. I'm the complete opposite of someone who's anti-vax. I'm like, give me as many vaccines as possible.
0: All at the same time.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, preferably not, but I was already there, okay?
0: You would be great in boot camp. you just, yeah, just jab them all in me.
1: Uh, well, I've gotten a lot better with needles. I used to be very whiny, but now I'm fine.
0: Speaking of whiny, <laughs> boy, that was going to be a terrible segue. Because <laughs> I'm segueing to listener communication. Oh, and we have one voicemail that we want to play that is not it's whiny not, at all. no. <laughs> Sometimes I try way too hard.
1: Mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you would
0: think after over 750 episodes of this show that I would have just be phoning it in by now.
1: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't
0: be trying so hard. Yes. But apparently that's, it's not in my DNA. We can hope. To phone it in. So let's get to this call and then we will move on with our action-packed show.
2: Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Catherine from Mission Viejo. I was wondering what you guys think about all the headlines about uh, in New York, how everybody's going to up and quit in the healthcare care department, that they're set to fire thousands of workers. Uh, I don't know how much of that is just um, sensationalist headlines, how much of it is a lot of people genuinely holding out uh what do you think's gonna come of it do you think they're gonna um stop being dumb fucks and just do it or do you think we might have a problem in new york with not enough health care workers uh if they don't get vaccinated don't really know what to think about that and then if they do hold out and have to get fired uh where does that leave them as far as unemployment i genuinely don't know i have so many questions and then also just what's going on with the Biden plan for mandating vaccines or weekly testings for the private sector. I feel like that was a big announcement and nothing's really come of it so far. Um I for one i am pretty okay with it. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh love the show, Britney's the best part, naturally. Bye. Love the
3: show, Britney's the best part. Bye.
0: So, uh, there has been some developments on that, uh, end of things, uh, relative to the, the Biden mandate, uh, that doesn't involve government contractors and people who provide medical services to Medicare and Medicaid patients. Um, the reason that hasn't come to fruition yet is because he tasked OSHA with creating rules around it to see if it would be a reasonable thing. So, OSHA is getting ready to come out with. I'm believing next week is the rumblings I'm hearing.
1: Well, actually, on Tuesday, the Labor Department submitted to the White House the initial text of the plan. Right. So you are correct in that um, OSHA is to blame and for well,
0: nobody's to blame. They have to. <laughs> they have to make the. They have to write the rules, and they're not just gonna off the top of their head. They have to go through um voluminous statutory requirements to find out exactly how to write the rules
1: well and it makes sense that it's going to take some time because like the like the mandate uh states that uh biden wants it to apply to businesses with 100 or more employees and that's going to affect roughly 80 million workers nationwide so obviously it's going to be something that takes time but it sounds like cat is more than a okay with that.
0: Yeah, and then the other the other uh, aspect of the question about uh, whether or not vaccine mandates work. I mean, that's kind of the crux of it. Uh especially in healthcare settings. What we're seeing is that they work pretty goddamn well. Um especially in New York, um uh, the the test model for it is probably Methodist Hospital, I believe is the name of it in Houston, Texas, where they fi- they ended up firing like or 0.6% of their workforce because these dum-dums were refusing to get vaccinated and they said, fucking pound sand, you're out of here, and they fired them. But it was a a very minuscule percentage of people.
1: Yeah, I didn't hear what you were referencing there, but um, I have numbers here from Indiana University Health and 125 workers Uh, quit, but that is out of 35,800 total employees, so that's 0.3%. Of, of workers who quit. And then you have like Delta Airlines, for example, they didn't necessarily mandate the vaccine. But in August, they did say that unvaccinated workers were going to be charged a health insurance surcharge of $200. And they said that fewer than 2% of their employees had quit over that policy. You have Houston Methodist Hospital And they required 25,000 workers to get a vaccine by June 7th. Before the mandate, about 15% of their employees were unvaccinated. By mid-June, that percentage dropped to 3% and hit 2% by late July. Yeah. So... You have people who when they were surveyed before the vaccine mandate. They were saying, all strong.
0: I'm not gonna do it.
1: Yeah. I'm I would quit my job. I'm I not don't want do that fouchy ouchy. Yeah. And then <laughs> morons. And then what happened was the vaccine mandate came and they thought, oh shit, and they got the vaccine because they don't want to lose their job. Yeah. And Cap-
0: it became real. Real quick.
1: Kat also asked an important question, which is, like, do they get unemployment benefits? And getting fired over not complying with a vaccine mandate would be viewed as, like, failing to comply with any other requirement of your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would mean that you're not eligible for unemployment benefits in in most cases. Yeah,
0: I I mean, I think more plainly stated is if you're fired for cause, typically in any state across the country that I... I mean I mean I I've had some experience with many states and if you get fired for cause you're not eligible for unemployment and this would be being fired for cause so if you don't comply with a vaccine mandate that's is legally issued you're you're out I mean you're just going to be unemployed and uh, that's a scary prospect for a lot of people. So,
1: yeah, I think that it also is. Uh, individual states have different rules for this. So, New York's state labor department says on its website that workers in healthcare facilities, schools, nursing homes, uh, any of those environments, if they quit or are terminated for refusing the vaccine, then they will be ineligible for unemployment yeah. benefits unless they qualify for a medical or religious exemption to the mandate. And then you have Washington State. Their Department of Employment Security says that it will consider various factors when determining uh, when determining if someone is going to be eligible if they after they've been fired. And some of those include whether the employee is eligible for other benefits, the specific terms of the vaccine policy and its exemptions, and the reason why the employee did not comply with the vaccine mandate. So probably going back again to those like religious or medical exemptions. So. You know, if you have a special case, maybe you can fight for unemployment benefits. But like you said, Jesse, if if you're being terminated for cause and and not complying when you don't have a reason to not comply, then you're probably not going to end up with those benefits.
0: Uh, There is another person who's very interested in hospital staffing, and that is Peter Ducey from Fox News, who asked Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, a question in the White House briefing room the other day and really the Ducey family must just be genetically predisposed to being fucking dumped on because he makes it almost a daily occurrence. And do you know if this particular hospital might have been having staffing shortages because they have a vaccine mandate and maybe some folks have had to leave because they didn't want to get vaccinated?
4: I would love for you to account for me uh, where that is the issue over uh, more so than the number of unvaccinated who are filling uh, emergency rooms, filling ICU beds. That is the problem in hospitals across the country. Go ahead.
1: Well, and I'm glad I'm glad that we played this clip because that was another thing that I wanted to address from Kat's Call. You kind of have these two competing narratives right now based on what political persuasion someone is. And that is there's either staffing shortages because there's so many patriots standing against the vaccine mandate that have decided to leave, and that's the liberals doing by having these vaccine mandates in place. Or-
0: You're using air quotes when you say patriots, right?
1: Yes. All right. Or-
0: I didn't see see the air quotes, and I'm in the same room as you, so I just wanted to to make sure.
1: Let me give you the two options, and then you let me know which one you think I fall into, okay? (laughs) And then you have the the second uh, option, which is that people are so overworked, exhausted, morally defeated, um. That they are quitting their jobs because they can't handle it anymore. And if you have been tuning in to news out of Idaho, where they implemented yeah. the crisis standards of care, um, I've seen a few news packages from PBS about this, where they have interviewed hospital staff about the shortages. They are demoralized, yeah. and the hospitals are being overrun, and they just don't have the staff to manage the number of patients that are in in these hospitals. And I would love for any medical professionals listening to the show right now to call in with their perspective on that because I think it's important to hear directly from the people that are working in those situations, that are short-staffed, that are overworked, that are being treated terribly, that are having to get, like, panic buttons because they're being assaulted by COVID skeptics in the hospital. So... Uh, You know, which one do you think it is?
0: (laughs) It's a weird, just chaotic mess out there that that our politics has brought us here. Mm -hmm. And I say our because they are Americans. And this has been fomented by Donald Trump and the Republican Party and conservative media outlets. um, Largely, Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, they are running with this narrative, whipping conservatives into a frenzy. Where they feel emboldened enough to assault people working in a helping profession.
1: Well, and now you have this this new poll that just came out of uh, from UGov where they've been asking this question for several years and the question is do you think parents should be required to have their children vaccinated against infectious diseases oh
0: you tweeted this yeah yeah yeah
1: now this isn't even asking about the COVID vaccine this is just do you think parents should be required to have their children vaccinated against infectious diseases now in 2015 Democrats 81% supported this Republicans 67% supported this
0: yeah almost 70% of republicans.
1: Yeah, we have a majority view here. Yeah. Both have majority support for requiring children to be vaccinated. 2021, Democrats up 4 percentage points to 85, Republicans down from 67 to 46%. Right. It's now a minority opinion. It just
0: shows that this is it is politics pernicious effect on it, it, the same thing happened with the Russia situation where Republicans largely were <laughs> skeptical of Russia yeah. until Donald Trump started jerking off Vladimir Putin on a regular basis. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the the graph just completely switched.
1: Right. Where right.
0: now they love and have admiration for Russia because Donald Trump quit won't quit running his suck about it.
1: Well, and I also, I listened to the the 3 hour podcast with Sanjay Gupta uh, and Joe Rogan. Yeah. And uh <laughs> I I found it to be a somewhat disappointing showing from Sanjay Gupta. And I don't know what he thought it was going to be, but I I feel like he's a really nice guy and that didn't work in his favor in terms of being persuasive.
0: Well, he doesn't have dumb guy certainty like Joe Rogan does
1: that's correct and And I want to start with the way that they started the episode, which was Joe Rogan talking about how Sanjay Gupta used to be um, anti medical marijuana, and that Sanjay Gupta changed his mind about the medicinal benefits of marijuana
5: mm-hmm.
1: and it, it frustrates the hell out of me when people do this. They have always believed something. And then, like, let's say scientific evidence comes through and, like, now they have valid reasons for believing the thing that they believe. But they think that it's really admirable that they were always right about that thing. I was right all along. Even though the reason that they held that view was not necessarily based on evidence, but based on, like, their personal experiences. Because or- he loves wheat. In this case, yes. Um, And so what's the more respectable position? Someone who um, withholds a certain opinion until they have evidence for that or someone who just happened to be right about the thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So that was really frustrating. But um, overall, I wasted three hours of my day, for sure, listening to that.
0: Well, every time that I would come in the other room and and hear it, Like, almost every time, I would hear Joe Rogan screaming, well, I know a guy who blah, 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 blah. That
1: is exactly what happened. The the,
0: the whole thing seemed to be him just, oh, anecdotal evidence, anecdotal evidence. And then you've got Sanjay Gupta, who...
1: Is a very nice guy. Yeah, just, he didn't... Who didn't say, listen, because Joe Rogan kept saying, I know this guy who got a vaccine, and then four days later, he had a stroke. So he had a vaccine injury. You know, I know this person who got vaccinated and then this terrible thing happened to them because of the vaccine. And Sanjay Gupta is like, really, that happened because of the vaccine? He's like, yeah. And he's like, wow. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. It's like, no, no, right, right, right. You, you can say that doesn't sound very believable that, you know, so many people who have had such severe reactions to the vaccine when that is so rare. Yeah. You know, and and being armed with the numbers to actually talk about that, I think would have been good.
0: Kudos to you for suffering through three hours.
1: Well, I thought we would play some of it on the show, and then I just... We are not. I couldn't do it. (laughs) I couldn't do it because they just went around and around and around.
0: We are going to play something from Joe Rogan in in, in just a few minutes where he he says that Tucker Carlson is nuanced. (laughs) Shows you how credible dumb fuck joe rogan is about really anything well
1: and that's one thing i'll say about joe rogan is i what i came away with is i don't think he's a dumb person i think that it takes it takes some intelligence to be able to go toe-to-toe with dr sanjay gupta who's a neurosurgeon in the way that he did and not because he's right but i'm talking about like the ways that he debated the and rhetorical
0: strategies he uses
1: exactly in order to come away with some semblance of authority now it's easy to be tricked by that stuff so just because he speaks as though he knows what he's talking about um and he's more certain like you said i mean dr sanjay gupta he's a scientist he's gonna make room for uncertainty he's gonna make room for doubt and say i don't know for sure i'm gonna have to read that study i'm gonna have to look at that you know pulling up a study and reading like the abstract to me is not enough i'm gonna actually need to look at that you know and then
0: not only reading the abstract but misinterpreting the abstract Yeah. From Remember the chicken vaccine thing that we
6: talked about? Yeah, well, he
1: did the same thing. He pulled up a study and read a sentence from it. And Sanjay Gupta was like, I haven't seen this. I don't know that that's what this is saying. I'm going to have to read this. But everyone's like, oh, he dunked on him pulling up a study. It's like, no, that's not how that works.
0: (laughs) Well, listen, Joe Rogan doesn't have to do any heavy lifting to convince his audience that he's some kind of a a guru or or a smart person. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to. He's even said he is quoted as saying, I'm a I'm a fucking idiot.
1: But they don't think of him like that. In fact, I I saw a tweet just uh, the other day that called him a journalist that said Uh. he's one of like the best journalists. So, I mean, his his followers, they want it both ways. He's a dumb guy, but also everything he's saying is correct.
0: Right. Yeah, I I don't. um, He's a he's a dangerous rube. Is, is I believe Joe Rogan is. <laughs> yeah, not, not good. Fucking clown. Uh, anyway, th- another piece of follow-up. I'm going to move on before I start raging. Uh, another piece of follow-up. Did you have something else?
1: No, I just thank you for uh, indulging me.
0: Yeah. Uh, another piece <laughs> of follow-up has been this opposition to critical race theory being taught in elementary schools. Which any is, school, which is extra extra peculiar, since critical race theory is not being taught in any elementary school in the country. It is a, it is something that is taught in law school, <laughs> not elementary schools, but um, it is leading Texas, uh, a, a Texas school district, uh, uh, South Lake School District. To, I mean, how do you, how do you, uh, we're just going to play the clip. They want to balance any teachings on the Holocaust with opposing views.
7: New report in our series on a Texas school district at the center of a firestorm over diversity and inclusion efforts. Now secretly recorded comments from a top administrator about books on the Holocaust are sparking new outrage. Antonia Hilton takes us back to Southlake.
6: Wes Frierson, a parent of two daughters in Southlake, is uncertain about his kids' education.
8: With some of the local politics right now, I'm not sure that teachers feel supported.
6: The district already in the spotlight after parents clashed over its diversity plan, now facing new pushback over which books are allowed in their libraries, with some teachers placing caution tape over bookshelves, calling the move Censorship. It all started when a fourth grade teacher was reprimanded after a parent complained about her having a book about anti-racism.
8: I couldn't believe it. She's the kind of teacher that we would hope the district would be trying to
6: attract. The district sent educators new guidance to vet all books, instructing them to not allow singular perspectives that could be considered offensive. This coming after Texas passed a law banning the teaching of concepts that could make individuals feel guilt or anguish due to their race. NBC News obtained exclusive, secretly recorded audio of a school training.
3: We are in the middle of a political mess. The director of
6: curriculum, Gina Petty, offers an example for teachers. Balance books about the Holocaust with an opposing view.
3: Make sure that if, if, if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has opposing, that has other How do you oppose them. the Holocaust?
6: Gina Petty did not respond to messages requesting comment. I met with two concerned teachers in South Lake. We obscured their identities because they feared speaking out could cost them their jobs. I was in such shock when I heard these words. We felt this was necessary because we felt like no one was going to listen until a teacher spoke up. And it's not just in Southlake. Across the country, educators are facing new policies restricting how they can educate students about race, from Tennessee to Pennsylvania. Southlake School District told NBC News they were helping teachers comply with Texas law, and the district has not and will not mandate books be removed. The district says that they have not told teachers to ban books to completely shut down libraries. What are you seeing? That's a lie. It is a flat-out lie. Like, there, how could you even make that statement. What do you think is at stake here? In books, children see what the world can be. And to have that taken away because we're afraid of a few parents getting upset about a word or two or an idea that they've imagined is in a book is unthinkable. Wes Frierson says his daughters see what's happening. But
8: unfortunately for kids of the age of mine, I think the, the last, uh, as they become aware of the world, I think they just see the world as... Very highly politicized.
6: But parents hope that politics find a way out of public schools. Antonia Hilton, NBC News, South Lake.
7: And you can hear more of our reporting on South Lake in our NBC News podcast. All episodes
9: are now streaming.
0: I thought I'd leave that extra at the end there if somebody was interested in checking out their podcast. So.
1: Okay, yeah. So (laughs) um, the spokeswoman for the district said that they're trying to help teachers comply with the new state law that's going to go into effect in December. That's Texas Senate Bill 3. Now, the state senator Brian Hughes, an East Texas Republican, uh, he wrote the bill. He denied that the law requires teacher to provide opposing views on what he called matters of, quote, good and evil, or to get rid of books that offer only only one perspective on the holocaust. Yeah, it's not true though. He says, quote, that's not what the bill says. I'm glad we can have this discussion to help elucidate what the bill says because that's not what the bill says.
5: But
0: they are they're they're pulling resources um if if like relative to teaching like slavery, the history of the country. They don't want those things taught because they feel like it's going to isolate white students and make them feel guilty or anguish or whatever the words that were used. No one is saying it's the kid's fault that slavery happened. No one is saying they should feel guilty, but to not teach American history in American classrooms is a disservice. And it is the good versus evil here. Um, And we've got more, for more context, we do have more audio of that Gina Petty, who is the executive director for the school district, the executive director of curriculum and instruction. So she has a high-level position over curriculum and instruction, and these are some of the things that she said.
3: We are in the middle of a political mess and you are in the middle of a political mess. And so we just have to do the best that we can. And so we're gonna go and we're gonna do, you're gonna do what you do best, and that's to teach kids.
1: I think we're all just really
4: terrified.
3: I I, I think you are terrified, and and I wish I could take that away. I, I do, I can't, I can't do that. You are professionals, we hired you as professionals we trust you with our children so if you think the book is okay then let's go with it and whatever happens we will fight it together we will there's a lot of districts that are in the exact same spot we're in and no one knows how to navigate these waters I mean no one as you go through just try to remember the concepts of 3979 and make sure that if, if if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has opposing, that has other How do you oppose the world? Holocaust? I don't. I don't what? Believe me, that's come but
4: up. So number be- the
3: stars.
0: They guffaw at it. Like, how, what opposing viewpoint is there about the Holocaust? And she says, believe me, that's come up.
1: And I do believe her. That that has come up.
0: Right. So it it flies in the face of the the state senator, Brian whatever, or whatever his name was. Hughes. uh, Brian Hughes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It it flies in the face that this is all, this this is a bunch of much ado about nothing, when it clearly has come up already.
1: Well, the superintendent also released a statement and said that they recognize that there are not two sides of the Holocaust, and quote, as we continue to work through implementation of HB three nine seven nine, we also understand this bill does not require an opposing viewpoint on historical facts. So the reason that we continue to talk about this though is because it's getting pretty wild. We talked a little bit about um, you know, our critical race theory watch in Wisconsin. That's what we're calling it. Critical race theory watch. And <laughs> I don't
0: have a sound for that.
1: We need one still. <laughs> So, uh, in testimony before—oh, here it is. <laughs> Yee-haw!
10: Yee-haw!
1: Yee-haw! In Critical
0: race theory,
7: while
1: testimony Go, before get a <laughs> joint meeting of the Assembly and Senate Education Committees in August, uh, Chuck Witchers. Uh, A Republican in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, Chuck Wichkers. One of the co-authors of a bill to ban teaching of critical race theory outlined a list of terms and concepts that he said violate the Equal Protection Clause Uh. of the United States Constitution and would be prohibited subjects in the classroom under the bill. Mm. Would you like me to read from this list?
0: Please, these violations of the 14th Amendment. The Equal Protection Clause.
1: Critical race theory, action civics, social-emotional learning. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, culturally responsive teaching, abolitionist teaching, affinity groups.
0: Abolitionist teaching is against the 14th Amendment of the Constitution.
1: Anti racism, anti bias training, oh, anti blackness, wow. anti meritocracy, obtuse meritocracy, centering or decentering, collective guilt, colorism, conscious and unconscious bias, wow. critical ethnic studies. Critical pedagogy, critical self awareness, critical self reflection, cultural appropriation slash, mi- slash misappropriation, cultural awareness, cultural competence, cultural proficiency, cultural relevance, cultural responsiveness, culturally responsive practices, decentering whiteness, diversity focus, diversity training, equitable equity, examine systems, free radical therapy. Are we getting the point?
0: Yeah, so what can they teach? <laughs> no history. Or the only history, the only version of history that can be taught is America won World War II, which we did not. America won World War II, which we did not. America, America, America. The, the, The shining city on the hill. American exceptionalism. We've done nothing wrong but contribute mightily to the world and development. I mean, what do they want? They want a... A, a an incorrect version of history taught and and no none of the blemishes none of the well documented historical facts can be talked about because it scares white dudes ugh mm-hmm. gross
1: yeah So we will continue with our critical race theory watch, and we encourage you to, uh, if you spot this in your state, maybe we have missed some of these stories, but we would encourage you to tag us in those, send those our way, because we would like to continue to talk about this on the show.
0: How's this for a segue? Speaking of scared white dudes... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Pat Robertson, everybody. Good times had by all. You know, after 60 years, 91-year-old Pat Robertson has finally decided to pack it in, to call it quits and to retire after like you said,
1: after 60 years at Christian Broadcasting Network yeah. and 55 years hosting the 700 Club. God. 55 years. He's almost
0: a billionaire now.
1: I mean, pretty terrible, given the things that he has said on his program in those 55 years, we could play you endless clips of terrible shit that Pat Robertson has said, but we wanted to give you just a little flavor of some of what will thankfully be off of everyone's TVs. She's not a Christian! (laughs) You know what? How did I not know that 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 you were going to do that? I know. Here...
0: Here's Pat Robertson.
10: There's never been a civilization ever in history that has embraced homosexuality and uh, uh, has survived. The Bible says, if any man will not work, let him not eat. Now, uh, that didn't say, if any man will not work, let him go to the soup kitchen and let the government pick up the tab. Something happened a long time ago in Haiti They got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, we will serve you if you'll get us free from the French. The people of color have to rise up and overtake their oppressors, and then, having gotten the whip handle, if I can use that term, then to instruct their white neighbors how to behave. Now, that's critical race theory. What is this mac and cheese? Is that a black thing?
6: It is a black thing, Pat.
10: Well, you could become a Muslim, then you could beat her.
5: <laughs> but in lieu of that...
10: <laughs> you don't want to go to Saudi no, Arabia? No, I'm talking no. about Jesus. the cheating. He cheated on you. Well, he's a man. Okay. There are a bunch <laughs> of people who are just bombs, And if these people are out drugging themselves... Well, I'm starved to death. You've got a couple of uh, same-sex guys kissing. Do You like that. Well, that makes me want to throw up. America, if you want to bring the judgment of God on this nation, you just keep this stuff up.
1: He also called the non-Christians termites who don't belong in the government. He uh, talked about uh, gay men deliberately spreading HIV, trying to give people, quote, the stuff, is that yeah, Remember, it.
0: he talked about the ring, they have a ring with like a a barb on it, like a knife on it, and they, they'll 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 cut you with it to give you the stuff.
1: Yeah, they shake your hand. Yeah, yeah, and cut you with a little ring.
0: Weird uh, that this paranoid white man who's opposed to critical. I mean, it, it is invariably if you want to know how to think about something. Listen to Pat Robertson and, and then whatever he believes, just fucking go the opposite way. I mean, that's this guarantee that you're going to be on the right side of history.
1: Yeah. So farewell to a very um, hateful and toxic person who has been uh, using his platform to spread hate and uh, bigotry for his entire life. Yeah, for sure. Um, so farewell to him.
0: All right. And then the other piece of follow up we're going to get to on the other side of this short break.
6: I doubt it is a listener supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners. Just like you via Patreon, your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward. One podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast.
1: We would like to give a shout out to our new and beautiful Patreon supporters. Bill M.
0: Bill M.
1: Teresa K. Teresa K. Cleophus G.
0: Cleophus G.
1: Troy L.
0: Troy L.
1: Steve B. Steve B. Richard K. Richard K. And now we would like to give a special shout out to the Patreon supporters who upped their pledges. Uh, who upped the pledge? And that would be Jeffrey, <laughs> F.
0: Jeffrey F. Jeffrey
1: F. Jeffrey F doubled the pledge. Doubled the pledge. Frank O. Frank O. Frank O more than doubled the pledge. More
0: than doubled the pledge.
1: And Bill M. Bill M. Bill M. More than doubled the pledge. And more yes, Bill. More doubled. <laughs> Just talk, because I know that the you. Pledge. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Um and yes Bill M was uh given a shout out there for being a new Patreon supporter but Bill M became a new Patreon yeah, he, supporter he and then signed
0: then, up and then thought better of it and
1: immediately turned around yeah, jacked up the jacked up the pledge There we go. So Fantastic. We, we very much appreciate that. Listen, we've Here, been talking Bill M,
0: Bill M, thank you.
1: <laughs> we've been talking about the end of year Patreon gift. So every year, starting last year, <laughs> Uh, We are planning on doing a kind of end of the year holiday gift for our Patreon supporters just as a way to say thank you. And this year we're doing a fridge magnet and we think everyone is going to be very happy. I think it's funny. With what we've come up with here. Well,
0: let's not oversell it. Then they'll get it like, this thing's a piece of shit. Well,
1: no, I think, it, I think it will at least get a smile or a laugh. And that is what we're looking for. So um, look for those. They're going to, we don't have them yet, but they're made. We're, we're getting them well, printed. Th-
0: they're being made.
1: Yes. And, well, we have the design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and they're going to be printed. And then we're going to be sending them out. So by the end of the year, you will have a Patreon gift if you become a Patreon supporter by the end of the year.
0: Also, make sure that your address is correct. Yes. Your mailing address needs to be correct.
1: Yes, and this happened when we sent uh when we send stickers out, we often get them returned. So if you haven't gotten a sticker and you've been waiting for one, uh that may be the case as Just well. Just go
0: in and update your profile. Yes. All please. right. Now, back to some follow-up here and I-, I I promised we- I promised I threatened <laughs> that we were going to play a Joe Rogan clip where he calls Tucker Carlson nuanced. Oh. Where he calls Tucker Carlson who is a pernicious white supremacist. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That's not just a name call thing. Tucker Carlson spreads long-standing white supremacist conspiracy theories on a nightly basis on his show. White genocide. The Great Replacement Theory. All of these things he is normalizing. And people think, oh, it's just Tucker Carlson. He's not a racist. He's not a white supremacist. He's got a news show.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: This is Joe Rogan dumb fuck mcgee joe rogan talking about tucker carlson the same white supremacist tucker carlson I, so you know i wrote this book that, and this this is one of two copies in the world physical copies this one's yours the other one's tucker's yes
7: right. oh um, i don't know if that's good
0: uh <laughs> no you guys like you guys are like completely different but you're like the same in, in the most important way which is like you don't find a bullshit
7: Well, we'll also talk to anybody. Tucker has a lot of left wing people on, and he doesn't disparage them or uh, criticize them or mock them. You know, he had Brett Weinstein on, who's uh, very progressive. He has Tulsi Gabbard on. (laughs) He has (laughs)
0: people. I had to to pause it. (laughs) Brett Weinstein, or whatever that guy's name is. And Tulsi Gabbard.
1: (laughs) Oh, a couple of regular progressives, everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Soup's Libs. Remember when he had the 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 Bregman guy or whatever his name is Rucker Bregman Rucker Bregman on, and you they had to cut the segment. They didn't even play it on the air, but Bregman was recording it.
1: Mm-hmm. You're talking about when he appeared on Tucker Carlson's program. That's right. right.
0: And Tucker Carlson was calling him a fucking moron to his face during the segment, and then they couldn't air it because he started cursing. Yeah, he doesn't mock all these liberals that he has on. Come mm-hmm. It, it's just – it's delusional. Yeah. That's a lie. It's a verifiable lie.
7: I mean, he I think he's unfairly labeled because people want to marginalize him and dismiss him immediately and call him a white separatist or a white supremacist or whatever word that makes you a part of a list of people that you can never associate with. They like to initially do that about him, but – I think his discussions that he has on his show are some of the most nuanced in that he is willing to have conversations with anybody from all these different whatever people that have been you know in issues with college censorship where you know <laughs> so called progressive college students have censored professors from discussing certain topics or you know, he, he'll he talk about all kinds of things. And I think that that's very important in this time, that you have people like him.
0: Yes. So he has on all of these people who fit right into the Fox News narrative about <laughs> censorship on college campus. What a brave man Tucker Carlson is for he's, having those people on.
1: He's really standing strong. Uh, it
0: continues for another
7: 34 seconds. As much as he gets criticized and as much as I get criticized, there's there's a very important thing that is happening when people are discussing uncomfortable issues and it's, we have to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And you don't get that by just buying into the official narrative. Right. I mean, that's, you guys are both suspicious of the official narrative and it's funny, you know, Tucker Carlson is, you know, like, could there be a sort of like whiter guy than Tucker,
0: but at heart, he's a populist. I truly believe that. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with him about everything, You know, but but at heart he's a populist, and at heart you're a populist. And
1: so again, and I'm, I'm thinking back to 30 minutes ago or so when I when I challenged you and said I don't necessarily think that Joe Rogan is dumb. Now that doesn't mean that I I like am admiring his intelligence. My my main focus there is that I think there's there's a certain type of intelligence there to be able to do what he does and kind of get away with the things that he's able to get away with and have so many people like rally around him and defend him all day long. And since he mentioned Brett Weinstein, I went to go just look at Brett Weinstein's Twitter right now. And the second tweet was a retweet about how great Joe Rogan is. So you have the people who were like in the intellectual dark web, who like Brett Weinstein, uh,
0: uh, Tucker, or uh, uh, Joe Rogan was one of them.
1: Yeah, they really band together and yeah, yeah, they yeah. really unite around this. We're people who have these nuanced, difficult conversations that other people are just not willing to have, and we, that's like a we really re-
0: we reject the establishment narrative. Yeah. It's just nonsense.
1: And I think a lot of people get convinced by that, even though it is. It's nonsense. And like I said, it, it's like Ben Shapiro talking past, fast and people thinking he's smart because he talks really fast. I mean, it's the same thing with Joe Rogan, where he's this very... Um, he comes across as no bullshit these are the facts, this is what's going on, but then tries to be like, ha-ha, I'm just a dumb guy. Yeah, yeah. So everyone's like, yeah, he's dumb. He's he's admitting when he's wrong. He's admitting he doesn't know things, while at the same time he's like very assertive and confident in the claims that he's making. And so people can say all day long, well, you just need to listen to him. I have. Yeah. I listened to 3 hours yesterday. I go and hate watch the clips on a regular basis just like I hate watch Megyn <laughs> Kelly. I know. I know. Yeah. You know, but people try to act like, well, you just don't know because you're not listening to him. You're a critic because you're not listening. It's you, like, no, yeah. I I am listening. Yeah.
0: He listen, when I don't mean that when he's a, when I say he's a dumb fuck, I don't mean he's stupid. I there mean we he's go. a dumb fuck.
1: There we go. And I think that's an important That's an important um, point. Listen,
0: I don't believe you can be a successful in this medium or a successful stand-up comic. I don't know how much success he's had in stand-up comedy. But you can't be a dumb person and be able to communicate Mm -hmm. and affect people in that way on stage. Right, Especially, I mean, stand-up comedy is a special thing in that way. Mm -hmm. And he's clearly got skills, rhetorical skills. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean he's not a dumb fuck.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Moving on. Dallemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we have been following the, these, these couple of spending bills, uh, the infrastructure bill, and then the, um, the $3.5 trillion
1: Reconciliation
0: Re- reconciliation bill, which is isn't going to end up being three point five trillion.
1: Build back better. And there has been
0: a lot of criticism for the media for for not breaking it down and talking about what actually is in the bill, or uh, shifting the narrative about how this is talked about. That this is over the course of ten years, so it's three hundred and fifty billion dollars a year for ten years, totaling three point five trillion. We've talked about Joe Manchin. We've talked about Christian Cinema hiding in bathrooms from constituents, but going to high-dollar fancy fundraisers with open arms to talk to those people. Um, and in the effort to talk about what is in the bill, I want to play this little clip from uh, Seth Meyers' show. What's what's the name of his show? Late Night. Late, is it Late Night? The Late Night Show with Late Seth Show. Meyer? Anyway, it's Seth Meyers' show, La-
1: late time on
0: NBC. Late time—that's what it is. Yeah, late time <laughs> with Seth Meyers. Mm. Um, and he had Elizabeth Warren on, and they talked about what exactly is in the bill.
8: Right now, uh, President Biden is trying to uh, institute the things he ran on: uh, expanding Medicare, uh, child care, uh, clean energy. These are things that pull well with the American people, and yet it seems like. Uh, for uh, those of us that pay attention, uh, that it's moving very slowly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you feel like the Democrats are doing a good enough job telling people what's in this bill? Because it seems like we all know the number, 3.5 trillion. It seems like the Republicans and the opponents of this bill have done a good job, and maybe the media has helped them make that what we think about. But can you talk about what's in this bill and why it's important?
4: So this is not about numbers. Think think of it this way. Um, Starting more than a century ago... America started investing in our country, in ourselves. So we built roads and bridges. We built power grids and and sewers and water lines. We opened up public schools and public colleges and universities. We made those investments because it was a way to make us collectively a richer country and a way to create opportunity person by person throughout this nation. And then we kind of went into coasting about 40 years ago or so. And we just kind of slowed way down on those investments and the world changed around us. So now we find ourselves, here we are in 2021, we need to make some big changes. And here's the exciting part. We've got our toes right on the line to make big structural change in this nation. Child care so that every parent will have a chance to be able to go to work, raise the wages of every childcare worker and preschool teacher in America. (laughs) Home and community-based care. Um, uh, Expanding. Expanding Medicare so people get vision, dental, and hearing coverage. And the really, really big one is not just taking a nibble, not just a pat, But we got to take a big, hard swing at fighting back in the climate crisis.
8: (laughs) So, again, good news. Uh, That seems great to me. Seems great to everybody here. Probably most of the people watching. Uh, I'm afraid Senators Manchin and Sinema probably aren't watching tonight. (laughs) It strikes me that you have these two people, right, who are... uh, They have all the power right now. And those... No, they don't have it all. No. Well, they could stop it. If they wanted to, they could stop it. I I mean the power that way. And it does seem like, uh, you know, again, I'm watching from a distance, but it does seem like they are pretty firm in their position that they don't want to get this passed. So what is the way to make them change their mind? Is it to apply political pressure and try to sell the American people and why this is a good idea?
4: That's a big part of it. Look, this is a democracy. And part of this is, remember... Everything that we're talking about here is really, really popular. The American people get it. Washington lives in its own bubble, a bubble, I should say, that is deeply infected by lobbyists and uh, the folks who are always trying to, you know, they're, they're there for the billionaires. They're there for the giant corporations. But the rest of America, Democrat, Republican, independent, they get it. These are the investments we need to make if we are going to be a strong nation going forward, if we're going to be a country that instead of narrowing opportunity, actually expands opportunity. So to the extent that we do something besides talk about a number, which I say this is a numbers nerd, makes a lot of people fall asleep or just get aggravated or watch it like it's some kind of race. If we actually talk about the things that this is about the kinds of changes it will make in people's lives, the kind of opportunity that we are about to create together, I think that is how we get it done. And, by the way, we need to do that now.
8: So here's the thing. Not only do you have to do it now, but it also strikes me, let's say you get it done. Say that again. Let's say you can get it done. But then how quickly, because I think that one of the things that's frustrating... Uh, uh, people are frustrated by both parties, is the speed in which you actually can show results. So if you get it done, it seems very important that you be able to show to the American people, certainly before the midterm elections, hey, look, we made your lives better. We controlled government, the Democratic Party, and we had this two-year period of time where you gave us the reins. And, you know, people are going to go to the polls. You're going to have to be able to show them that you made their lives better. Can you do this quickly? Can child care be something that people see before they go back to the polls?
4: We have to. And, and child care actually is the perfect example. We cannot take a sort of leisurely, yes, we're going to have child care done and tell the mamas of two years old and three year olds that we'll have this done by the time your kid is six or seven. You know, we, we can't do that. We have to say we are going to bust our fannies to get this stuff and get it delivered and create The child care slots raise the wages of the child care workers. Remember, though, before you giggle about whether or not we can do this, we did it with vaccinations. We did it with the child tax credit. We did it with those twelve hundred dollar checks that we put in people's pockets for relief. We didn't do it with rental relief. We handed out to the states and said, hey, take your time, work this out. It did not work. So we better learn the lesson from that. And we better deliver, deliver big and deliver now.
8: Well, I think it would help a lot of families, and I really do hope you're successful. success with that. Uh, we'll be right back. We'll be right back, everybody.
1: So not to <laughs> um, do what she said everyone should stop doing, but uh, <laughs> the original plan was for it to be a three-point. Five trillion yeah. dollar bill, Joe Manchin said that um his ceiling was one point five trillion, so Biden has come back and said that one point nine to two point two is going to be the price, so things need to be cut, they need to come to an agreement, they need to figure it out, according to um, a cBS news poll eighty eight percent of Americans support federal funding for lowering prescription drug prices, yeah, yeah. 84% support federal funding for Medicare coverage for dental, eye, and hearing. 73% support federal funding for paid family and medical leave. 67% support federal funding for universal pre-K. Yeah. It does not make any sense that Democrats would not come together, and I'm looking at cinema. I'm looking at mansion and... Give the American people what they support.
0: And give their own constituencies, which, by the way, Joe Manchin, his constituency is very poor on the whole. Christian uh, Sinema also has, there's a lot of people living in poverty that this particular bill would help tremendously. And they're in the way of it because corporate special interest and other special interests has gotten in their ear. Mm-hmm. That's the only conceivable reason that I could see that uh, any Democrat at all, or Republican for that matter, mm-hmm. would oppose this legislation. Because keep in mind, all these idiots vote for the 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 Pentagon's budget every year. And that, if we were to look at that on a ten-year scale, is like seven and a half trillion dollars mm-hmm. just for the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Seven and a half trillion. And whose life does that make better? Mm-hmm. We could cut that in half. We, we should be debating as hotly our quote unquote defense budget as much as we are this.
1: Right. So if if Democrats want to be reelected, though, they want to be able to come forward and say, look at these things that we did yes. that you all support, majority support and need. That is going to make your life better, make your life easier, that is actually going to show you that the government can do things that help to improve your life.
0: And further, to really really, uh, dig deep on the politics into this, you'll also be able to say, and Republicans didn't want this thing that has so markedly impacted your life. Republicans fought tooth and nail. No Republicans voted for this. Not a single one. The same thing they should be saying about COVID relief uh, uh, stimulus
9: spending—that
0: mm-hmm. on the on the whole, Republicans were absolutely opposed to this. Right, we got it done for you, mm-hmm. but Democrats are going to fail in that in messaging. They're going to fail. That's just. It's the way it is.
1: Well, shout out to Elizabeth Warren for doing what everyone should be doing at all times. And that is talking about what is in the reconciliation yeah. bill, which I feel like we've done a good job uh, on the show here doing. So just all to right. give ourselves a little uh, pat on the back. Toot, toot our own horn, as it were. Oh. <laughs> I got them all.
0: All right. Well... We're going to toot some horns, but it's not going to be good tooting of the horn. It's going to be talking about Stephen Breyer,
9: mm. uh,
0: a, a associate justice on the United States Supreme Court, who still is refusing to retire yeah. after witnessing what took place over the Trump administration and um, the mistakes that were made with, with um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg not retiring early enough during the Obama administration. Um, Kennedy not retiring early enough. Here we go with uh, Stephen Breyer, who's in his 80s and is really refusing, refusing to go. Here's an interview with him who really gives a a very bizarre uh, perspective on why he's not leaving with a weird, arrogant thing about how he really likes people talking about him.
11: Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer shrugs off liberal pressure for him to resign, saying nice that people are talking about him. Now, we know what Pryor thinks about all this, because twice in the past 10 days, Justice sat down with our Supreme Court analyst, Joan Biskupik. I call her Justice Joan. Uh, that, in and of itself, is news. Sitting down with reporters is not, to use the court's lexicon, established precedent. Uh, Joan is with us now. Let's hold for a moment at why he's talking, and let's listen to him here on this pressure to resign.
9: The truth, I think, is there's always your... You know, you can always hope for your more mature self, which is there sometimes. It's far from the worst thing in the world to have people say mean things or nice things or this thing or that thing about you.
11: Um, That's the old diva rule from the Reagan White House. As long as they're talking about you, it's a good thing. Uh, It has to bother him, but he just doesn't want to say so. Is that the right translation?
5: Oh, yeah, of course it does. (laughs) He doesn't like to be asked about retirement. He's out there trying to promote this book. But of course, it's relevant when he's going to retire and it's relevant our polarized times when he's making his messages that the court is a non-political institution. So his timing is a little complicated for two reasons. One is this is his seventh book and he's trying to try to generate a lot of interest in it. But it comes at a time that the court has been more deeply split on cases involving the Biden administration policy on the Texas order that allowed uh, an abortion ban or near ban to take effect uh, on September first, and that was decided along political lines. So he's got this message about how the court is nonpartisan at a time when it's seeming the other otherwise. And he's also trying to be focused on democratic notions, kind of the history of the Supreme Court when the the big question is when would Justice Breyer retire? Because, as you know well, John, Democrats fear losing their slim majority in the Senate and making it harder for President Joe Biden to appoint a younger successor.
11: Right. So some liberals want him to retire as soon as possible so that President Biden could name somebody younger in his place. Some other liberals look at the current court, which is a Trump conservative court, and say, let's expand the court. Uh, President Biden said he would look at that. We're going to get the draft, first draft of the recommendations from the Biden committee looking at that later today. You talked to justice, the justice about the issue of reforming the court. Here's what he said.
9: Before people make major changes in the court, I would like them to read or otherwise understand what I've written and to think about it pretty deeply. And it is an institution. I'll just repeat this. It's an institution that, fallible though it is, over time has served this country pretty well.
1: So, again, just a hearkening back to tradition, and this is the way that things have always been, so this is the way that it works best. Uh, Not the best line of argument from someone who's supposed to be, like, the pinnacle of logic and reason.
0: look, things are working great for me. I'm an elderly white dude. Pretty great. What do you mean it's not so great for you? Pretty great for me. Just fucking retire, dude.
1: So that would be nice. Uh, that would be great. I don't know that that's going to happen. And we have scary things happening with the Supreme Court. I mean, um, on December 1st, they're going to hear arguments on Mississippi's ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. And in taking the case, uh, as reporting indicates, the Supreme Court's uh, conservative supermajority is signaling its openness yeah. to potentially overturning and Roe And remember, Wade.
0: remember remember during their confirmation hearings when every one of them was like, oh, no, precedence is precedent. No, Roe is established precedent. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And here we are. They're not so keen on precedent. I mean, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But it's not looking good.
1: Yeah, so you heard them reference in that news package a recommendation coming from the commission created by um, President Biden to consider Uh, structural changes for the Supreme Court. And that commission is divided on the idea of adding Additional Supreme Court justices yeah, yeah, yeah. and warned of, quote, considerable drawbacks in their proposal that was submitted on Thursday. Uh, the 36 member panel, quote, steered clear of policy recommendations and instead offered arguments in support of and against packing the court beyond its current nine seats. The group also considered term limits and changes to the court's procedure and judicial ethics.
0: We will see. I mean, th- listen. There, with any kind of a change, there's going to be drawbacks, but there's also going to be benefits, and we have to take them all as they come. We'd love to know what you think about these before we get to asshole or no, uh, taking care of biz today. <laughs> um, you can call, leave a voicemail, 657 464 7609. Of course, you can always email us, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. All right, moving on.
1: Taking care of biz, Jake Tapper. J. Tap from J-Tap. CNN. Yes, he is taking care of biz because the Sackler family Ugh. complained to CNN about a banner that they had up. Yeah, I like a,
0: their Chiron said something about uh, the the Sackler family who who uh, created OxyContin, who ran Purdue Pharma. Who just filed bankruptcy. We talked about all this. Yeah. Listen, go watch the show on Hulu called Dope Sick. Very good. Michael Keaton, it is fantastic and gives you an accurate historical understanding of what took place with this drug and just how pernicious and sickening this entire family is.
1: But the Sacklers are apparently screening any and all media about Dope Sick because <laughs> right. CNN had, I believe, the creator of the show and Michael Keaton on. Yeah. And they complained to CNN and, and made a threat. And Jake Tapper had a response.
12: Yesterday was a big day in America's hideous opioid epidemic. The CDC announced that the highest 12-month total yet of drug overdoses in the U.S., more than 96,000 dead Americans, according to preliminary data, an almost 30% increase from the previous year. And the primary driver of this all was, of course, opioids. Also, late Wednesday, a federal judge allowed work to continue on a very controversial bankruptcy and settlement plan for Purdue Pharma. That's the manufacturer of the opioid OxyContin. Now, the Justice Department had asked the judge to stop the plan, which shields the Sackler family, which owned the company, from opioid lawsuits. Also, yesterday brought the premiere of Dopesick, the Hulu TV series that hopes to bring attention to this scandal and the role of the Sacklers in it. Now, despite all of this momentous news, we here at CNN heard from attorneys representing the Sacklers. They took issue with a banner we aired that tried to reflect this sentiment from writer Danny Strong about the purpose of the show Dopesick. We really wanted to show their crimes in many ways. I wanted the show to be the trial that Purdue Pharma has not gotten. Now, the Sacklers are asking that we make clear what we made quite clear in the segment. The Sackler family has not faced any criminal charges. And the Sacklers are right. This is an important point for us to make clear for you to understand. The Sacklers have not been charged with any crimes. And that's not to say that they won't be or that they shouldn't be. The folks behind Dope Sick surely think they should. Remember, the company that the Sacklers ran, Purdue Pharma, they pleaded guilty in federal court to multiple felonies, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. Prosecutor said, quote, Purdue admitted that it marketed and sold its dangerous opioid products to healthcare providers, even though it had reason to believe those providers were diverting them to abusers. Quote, the company lied to the Drug Enforcement Administration about steps it had taken to prevent such diversion, fraudulently increasing The amount of its products it was permitted to sell. Purdue also paid kickbacks to providers to encourage them to prescribe even more of its products, unquote. They themselves, personally, the Sacklers have not been charged with any crimes. It's a fact that critics find outrageous. We hope this clears up any misunderstandings. We're not going to stop covering this story.
1: So the Sacklers used to uh, bullying and getting their way because of their power and wealth. Uh, Not necessarily this time when you have, I guess, the full backing and financial support of CNN as an organization.
0: I I just I love (laughs) I love the. Yeah, they are right. No criminal charges have been filed against them. Thanks for the reminder, Sackler family. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're just walking headfirst into the Streisand effect. It's amazing.
1: Can you tell us what that is?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Barbara Streisand, I don't know the exact story, but the Streisand effect is if you draw attention to something that you don't want attention drawn to, all it's going to do is draw more attention to the thing. Mm. I think it was Barbara Streisand's house, like in Malibu or somewhere, she didn't want pictures taken of it and made a big deal about it. And then all the pictures that were out there just circulated widely.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Something like that. So they call it the Streisand effect.
1: Nice. I and like I'm that. Prob-
0: Maybe I'm wrong about that. If I'm wrong, call in and let me know what a dumb fuck I am. Oh. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo about what a dumb fuck I am. To I doubt it at we sure do love you guys. We'd love to hear from you. Please call in and tell us what you're thankful for for the Thanksgiving episode. That would be fantastic. And we'll see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dallamore, and this has been I
7: Doubt